I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, a dark day. The governor of Maine responds to the horrendous mass shooting. What we know about the suspect, the true enemy. Cardinal Zuby stands up for both the Palestinians and the Israelis, focusing on a greater evil, wolves in sheep's clothing. A California diocese warns of men pretending to be priests. What you need to know. And path to sainthood. A religious sister from Argentina receives recognition for her first miracle. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight, an intensive manhunt is underway in Maine. Police are searching for a suspect accused of killing 18 people in Lewiston. Officials are urging residents to shelter in place. Maine's Governor Janet Mills expressed grief for the victims and offered some hopeful words. This is a dark day for Maine. I know it's hard for us to think about healing when our hearts are broken. But I want every person in Maine to know that we will heal together. For the very latest now, let's go to Philip Crowther, international affiliate reporter with the Associated Press. Philip, good to be with you. Uh, so you are in Bowdoin, Maine right now. Set the scene for us why you're there and what's taking place. Well, it's just under 24 hours now since the mass shooting in Lewiston, and it looks like one of the focuses of the law enforcement is right now in this very rural area. It's called Meadow Road here in the town of Bowdoin. And what we've seen here over the last hour or so and heard from our colleagues is that there was a large police law enforcement presence here. Uh, some of the houses that we see here behind me, they are connected to uh, the family of the suspect, and law enforcement have spent pretty long time there now. Uh, some of my colleagues heard some bangs here earlier. Uh, a helicopter has been circling overhead as well. And there is a large media presence here as well. Clearly, this is a focus now of this manhunt that is now almost a whole uh, day old. Uh, so far, we haven't really seen the police here concentrate on one specific area as much as they have right here uh, at this precise moment. We don't have a factual update, though, from uh, local officials, though we don't know exactly what they might have been looking for here or whom. Of course, the main man they are looking for is the suspect, though whether he was here or is here, we certainly cannot say at this point. Phil, what do we know about him? I mean, what are we learning about him? Well, the name, the name is uh, Robert Cord. He's uh, 40 years old. He's from uh, this area. Uh, and we believe, again, that some of the houses in the vicinity here uh, belong or belong to one or two of his family members. He's uh, a U.S. Army reservist, uh, somebody whose profile we don't really have yet. But there is some local reporting here that is giving us uh, some details as to uh, what kind of a person he might have been or what kind of a motive there might have been. Certainly, the police here is not talking about what a possible motive might have been. And they're also not talking yet about any mental health troubles that he might have had in the recent past. Uh, there is some local reporting on that, and we are waiting uh, for the police here to give us an update on that as well. Again, there is no motive right now. Uh, we don't know why uh, this suspect might have uh, gone to two separate places in the town of Lewiston and killed 18 people, uh, injuring 14 altogether, three in a critical uh, condition right now now uh, in hospital. 
And as you mentioned, it has been about 24 hours since this whole horrific ordeal began. Walk us through what happened last night. Well, this all happened just before 7 p.m. yesterday and just after 7 p.m. I mentioned those two times because there were those two locations. Uh, the mass shooting began at a, a bowling alley uh, in, uh, in, the t in the same town where the restaurant and cafe were also uh, located, around four miles uh, between uh, the two. So a mass shooting that happened in two separate locations. Since then, essentially, this has turned into a manhunt. Just the one suspect uh, at large, according to the police, no one else mentioned at all uh, by local law enforcement. Uh, so this is very much uh, changed into a story about the search for this one suspect in a relatively small area. The search area has not been expanded significantly uh, during the uh, 24 hours almost of this manhunt. We're looking at essentially three towns and surrounding villages that essentially have been where the inhabitants have been told to shelter in place. And indeed, that is what we're seeing here. We're not seeing a lot of people uh, outside. Shops are closed. Schools are closed as well. And uh, pretty much everybody is listening to uh, what the local authorities have been telling them. And that is to stay indoors because there is a man who is deemed dangerous and armed on the loose in this area. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, people are being asked to shelter in place, stay indoors. That said, can you give us a sense of, of what the mood is like right now? Yeah, well, there isn't a sense of panic, uh, which might be strange, if you will, when you know that uh, such a dangerous suspect is at large. But we're not seeing those people outside of their homes, essentially. They are truly uh, listening to the advice of local authorities. And, of course, we would, too, uh, if we knew that a person uh, might be at large who only yesterday killed 18 people. Uh, so it's a very quiet area, and this is a particularly rural area where we are right now. The town of uh, Middleton uh, is the second largest town in the U.S. state of Maine, uh, but around it is a very rural countryside, and that is where we we are uh, right now. This is essentially farmland here. Uh, and this is where, again, it seems like there is a focus of local uh, law enforcement officials. They've been spending a considerable amount of time in this area, are not allowing us through on this road and have indeed told us to uh, clear one side of the road, they say, so that ambulances could possibly uh, get through. Uh, that's what we've heard here uh, from local officials. Bill, we have about 30 seconds left, um, but what about the victims? Uh, do we have any updates on them? Well, look, it doesn't get any easier. At the bowling alley, we know that there was a youth league uh, happening at the time of the shooting, that there were children, essentially, uh, bowling, learning how to bowl. Uh, it makes things even worse. We don't know, by the way, the ages uh, of the victims. We don't know where the children were included. We just know that there were 18 uh, victims, uh, 18 people who were killed during this mass, mass shooting uh, yesterday uh, here in this area. So we don't know much about these victims, except that they were just out having as good a time as they possibly could, be it bowling or in a restaurant. And those are the two areas that this suspect seems to have chosen. Again, we don't know whether this was a conscious choice, whether there was a clear motive to him choosing those two specific places. We don't know whether there is a personal relationship between this suspect and those two places. Those are things that we still hope to find out as soon as possible. Okay, Philip, thank you so much. Philip Crowther live for us in Maine tonight.
Well, in a statement, President Biden said that he and his wife, Jill, were praying for all the victims of the Lewiston shooting. And as a mark of respect, the president ordered the U.S. flag be flown at half-staff at the White House, as well as all public buildings and grounds. At Capitol Hill, the new Speaker of the House, Republican Mike Johnson, said horrific tra tragedies like these need to end. This is a dark time in America. We have a, a, a lot of problems, and we're really, really hopeful and prayerful. Prayer is appropriate in a time like this that the evil can end and this senseless violence can stop. With only 37,000 residents, the shooting in Lewiston, Maine, has touched so many in the tight-knit community. The Bishop of Portland, Maine, issued this statement. It is heartbreaking to hear of lives lost and dozens injured and to know of the pain and grief that so many families are experiencing. We pray for all those impacted by this terrible violence that the Lord may provide them with consolation in the midst of their sorrow. We go now to Father Daniel Greenleaf, the pastor of Prince of Peace Parish in Lewiston, Maine. Father Greenleaf, good to see you again. I'm, I'm sorry it's under these circumstances, though. What was your reaction when you heard there was an active shooter in your town? Well, actually, disbelief, because I was in the middle of a meeting and, uh, you know, we got a phone call from one of the family's children that said, are you safe? And we're like, we're in the middle of a meeting. Stop bothering us. And then all of a sudden the alerts came on everybody's phone. And it's like this. This isn't true. This this can't happen. Yeah, it's so shocking. What have you been hearing from your parishioners? I mean, how are they feeling and what are they saying to you? Well, I think uh, right now, because we're all still uh, at this time, we're, we're still all in uh, sheltering in place. So a lot of the communication is really by social media and by texting and emails and uh, pretty much uh, trying to get information, trying to, to, to do, you know, to, um, to, to find out who who do they know and where are the people that, that they know. Yeah, I know this is going to be a really long and difficult road, um, but quickly, Father, you know, what do you think people need the most right now? And how can they find hope and peace during such a, a dark and difficult time? You know, I one of the things I, I mentioned at Mass this morning, because you know, uh, was that you know, we practice our faith for the idea of when you say you practice being Catholic— for the times when you really need it. And this is going to be a time when we really need to lean on the faith and not forget all the things we said uh, about God and about each other and about our faith during the good times. This is when we need to lean on them now. And uh, so it's, I think it's see it as my job. One of my jobs is to, to remind them of what they do know and what they do believe, even when it feels so dark. Yeah, absolutely. Father Greenleaf, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. I, I know it's been a really difficult uh, day and a half for sure and a long road ahead, as we said before, but we're praying for all of you up there in Maine. So please know that. We really appreciate that. I'll turn now to the Middle East. The Israel Defense Forces said that it conducted a targeted raid in northern Gaza. This is video released by the IDF showing tanks and armored vehicles, including a bulldozer on a road. You can see tanks firing artillery and some destruction in the video. Once the activity ended, the soldiers left the area. The IDF says this was preparation for the next stages 
of combat. Our President Joe Biden spoke again with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu about the ongoing war. The conflict started after Hamas terrorists slaughtered hundreds of Israelis. Tonight, the White House says efforts continue to locate and secure the release of hostages, including American citizens. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Tracy, no scheduled on-camera events for President Joe Biden today, but his National Security Council spokesman did brief reporters one topic, those hundreds of hostages still being held by Hamas. In addition, we also spoke with the former U.S. ambassador at large for international religious freedom about the situation in the Middle East. After nearly three weeks of war and thousands dead, Israel's military has raised the number of remaining hostages in Gaza to 222 people. Outside the Ministry of Defense in Tel Aviv, demands by family members for the release of their loved ones held captive by Hamas. And in the White House press briefing room today, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. Uh, I can tell you that we're working on it very hard with our partners in the region. We want to see all those hostages released. The U.S. fears the fighting could spill over into a wider regional conflict. After weeks of air raids, including this one in southern Gaza, hitting a refugee camp killing at least 15 people, an expected ground invasion may be imminent. Meanwhile, combating anti-Semitism. Sam Brownback is a senior fellow with Global Christian relief. We've been seeing anti-Semitism grow around the world and grow in the United States. Uh, it's virulent, it's deadly, and I think that's what really this Hamas attack brought out in the open is just how diabolical and evil it is. And the former ambassador blames Iran for causing more conflict. You're not going to get to peace in the Middle East without this regime being removed in Tehran. They are part of the axis of evil. They use terrorism, as I've said, and they're going to continue to as long as they are in power. Sam Brownback also told us Muslim countries should welcome Palestinian refugees into their countries. And he said he hopes people are praying in the midst of these difficult testing times. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. The Holy Father's envoy for peace in Ukraine is weighing in on the situation in the Middle East. Cardinal Matteo Zuppi says Hamas is, quote, the worst enemy of the Palestinian people, and he is calling for a peaceful solution that guarantees the rights of both Israelis and Palestinians. The Italian cardinal helped to end civil wars in Guatemala and Mozambique. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including targeting the faithful. A concerning story in California of crimes being committed by suspects pretending to be priests. And why the Attorney General of Oklahoma is suing the nation's first religious charter school. On the heels of the Hamas attack on Israel, President Biden is asking Congress to quickly approve billions of dollars in emergency aid, along with money for Ukraine and border security. Some lawmakers are throwing up a roadblock, saying they don't want the money bundled together. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with more. Eric. Good evening. The Senate will be taking up the $106 billion request very soon. Senate leadership supports a package in one omnibus bill. Republican Minority Whip John Thune tells me current threats to the U.S. make passing this bill quickly is essential. Russia and China and Iran are all working together, and I think it's important that the United States sends a loud, clear message to regimes like that that um, 
you know, we are not going to allow what happened on the border of Israel uh, to happen again. Lawmakers tell me the bill needs to pass soon because our allies like Israel and Ukraine need help. Certainly it seems like we have limited bandwidth in both the House and the Senate, and so to do it in multiple packages just doesn't sound realistic. That's why it makes sense to do it all at one time. But some Senate Republicans want the funding package to be split up and voted on separately. Nine of them wrote to their leaders saying in part, quote, we urge you to keep separate attempts to provide military aid to Israel from additional funds to Ukraine. These are two separate conflicts. There's also a dispute about how to handle border security and the $14 billion in the president's package. Republicans want much stricter policies to stop the flow of illegal migrants. We want a credible, a very credible border security part of this bill. I can tell you what it probably will not be is sending a bunch of money to Chicago and New York. Uh, we want to do something about the problem, the problems at the border. Anything done on border has to be bipartisan where the whole supplemental will get boxed, bollocked up. We are not for policy changes. The Senate Appropriations Committee will take up the package next week, but it faces an uphill battle in the House. There's growing opposition to fund Ukraine by Republicans, and many refuse to tie it together with Israel and border aid. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. A diocese in California is warning the faithful about a pair of imposters posing as priests. The Diocese of Stockton says the two unidentified men have been charging high fees for blessings in sacraments. They have assumed the identities of actual priests from Mexico. Reports say the Spanish-speaking imposters are demanding birth certificates from the faithful, raising concerns of possible human trafficking and identity theft. Police say they are investigating and we will continue to follow this story. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, Religious Liberty. How a Catholic group is responding to a lawsuit from Oklahoma's Attorney General. Plus, Pope Francis approves a miracle for a possible saint from his home country. The Attorney General of Oklahoma has filed a lawsuit against the nation's first religious charter school. Republican Gettner Drummer says the establishment of the St. Isidore of Seville Catholic Virtual School violates religious liberty protections. He also says residents should not be forced to fund, quote, the teachings of a specific religious sect. The school responded, telling Catholic News Agency the Attorney General is using the language of fear and discrimination. And we go now to Brett Farley, Executive Director of the Catholic Conference of Oklahoma. He is joined by his legal advisor, Nicole Garnett, a law professor at the University of Notre Dame. Thank you both so much for being here. We appreciate it. Brett, I want to start with you. Um, the Catholic Charter School has the support of the Republican governor, Kevin Stitt. Are you surprised that the Republican attorney general is now against it? It does come as a surprise, given the overwhelming support in the state of Oklahoma for school choice in general. Uh, coming out of the pandemic, uh, we've seen overwhelming, I'd say north of 70 percent even, uh, of support by parents for uh, additional options in the school choice uh, arena because they recognize that when there's a multiplicity of options, then the kids win. Yeah, Nicole, I'm going to go to you next. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, the attorney general calls the Catholic faith, quote, 
a religious sect. Uh, he also says the people of Oklahoma should not have to fund uh, its teachings. How would you respond to that? And, and what do you make of this language? Well, just to start with the language, as you know, unfortunately, the word sect and sectarian has a has a discriminatory history, particularly against Catholics. So it's unfortunate that the attorney general of Oklahoma uses that bigoted code language and, and, and not just against Catholics, but explicitly warns that the state might have to support other minor, minority religions like Muslims and Jews. And I, I just think that's really problematic. Um, I also think it's important that th this is why the Supreme Court has made so clear that the First Amendment's free exercise clause prohibits religious discrimination and requires the equal treatment of believers and institutions. The way to protect religious liberty and to preserve religious pluralism is to embrace it, not suppress it. And I think that the, the attorney general's statements in his lawsuits um, make clear that that is it really fortunate the court said that over and over again. And even if he hasn't gotten the message, what we're what we're trying to accomplish in Oklahoma is supported by the Free Exercise Clause. Yeah, uh, Brett, I'm going to go to you next. Uh, talk to us about why the establishment of the Catholic Charter School. I mean, why it's so important, and do you think the best way to do it is with state funding? This is something historically that the church has always done, partnering with the state and with the federal government to meet uh, the, the general need, whether it's in terms of um, of you know, meeting the needs of, of those in disaster situations or, or in healthcare situations. So this is not something new. We're just simply taking this practice into the realm of education. And Nicole, I mean, could this affect, you know, other cases in other states uh, or regions who are looking to add a Catholic charter school? Uh, yeah, I, I think this is the um, this is the first, um, and uh, Notre Dame has been really um, honored to partner with the um, the diocese in, in Oklahoma to serve the needs um, of the as Brett articulated them. It's not the last because the court has made clear increasingly in cases, including last year in a case called Carson versus Macon, that when the state enlists uh, private schools, private privately operated schools to uh, to support educational pluralism and advance educational options. It can't turn away religious providers. That principle is crystal clear. Um, we're testing that principle in Oklahoma. I think we will prevail. And I think um, that others will follow the lead of St. Isidore. And that will be good for religious liberty and also be good for kids for whom once there is no perfect solution to education. And this might be a perfect option for the right children. And the church should be commended for trying to advance the, the cause of educational pluralism and opportunity. Well, we thank you both so much for coming on. We're going to continue to follow this. God bless. Thanks, thank Tracy. you. Our finally tied an 18th century religious sister is on her way to becoming the first saint from Argentina. Pope Francis officially announced his approval of a miracle attributed to Sister Maria Antonia. She was the founder of the House of Spiritual Exercises in Buenos Aires. She was best known for her humility and simplicity. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.